Welcome to the Storyteller series, a Night Shift Radio original. I'm your host, Megs. Today's story is written by my client, Junior, and is titled Lavender Footsteps. Lynn is played by C. Chen. Ted is played by Casey Ryan. M by Anna Christina. Cami by Daisy Barajas. And Joe and Taylor by my client, Junior. This episode is directed, produced, and edited by Mike Wyant Jr. For more information and to read our print edition, please visit nightshiftradio.com. You can also get info on all Nightshift Radio shows by signing up for our weekly newsletter in the show notes of this episode. This is Mike Wyant Jr., the editor for Nightshift Media Group's The Storyteller Series podcast. Book two of the Anesian Convergence, Fallen Hunter, is out today. Set 300 years after the events of Last Bid for a Dying Earth, humanity now spans the galaxy. But as FTL jumps increase in number, a new danger presents itself. Breaches that lead to a destroyed world filled with demons. In response, one secret order of hunters has come forward. Wielding eldritch forces, hunters seal these breaches and banish the demons back to hell. But now, a breach unlike any other is torn open, and with it comes the murderous hordes. Only the hunter, D, can stop them, but she'll lose everything in the process. To stay up to date with all Anesian Convergence news, subscribe to my little-used newsletter at MikeWyantJR.com. You can also find all info on new releases at MikeWyantJR.com slash AC-release. The Anesian Convergence awaits. Please. Enjoy our story. M is missing. Frigid rain falls across the forest. Droplets tip-tap on fallen logs, stubborn snow, and black leaves like it's a tin roof. The crisp stink of rotting wood and decaying leaves fills my nose. Rolling thunder tells me a storm is coming. I need to hurry. And I am. I'm being reckless as I run through the skeletal forest. The sting of bare branches or lines of fire on my skin as I dash. I found their tracks. M's and her two tiny robots, Tony and Joe. But I found others, too. A panther. M's mother, Cammie, is a kilometer to my west, several acres of damn near impassable forest between us. While out that way, she's securing the sensors we use to monitor our larger fields against scavengers. We'd have swapped spots if I was any good with the tech. God knows you're all thumbs with these things, Alinda. Cammie always says. I should have sent her security bot, Taylor, out with her. Just in case. A worm of worry wiggles into my mind. I banish it. I'll check in with her via walkie-talkie after I find M. I have to keep her safe. I promised Cammie all those years ago. So I run. My heartbeat is in my ears, a pounding timpani accompanying the snare of the raindrops. Little disturbances stand out against the background morass like hot spots on a heating coil. A footprint here, a broken branch there. A deep paw print stands out in the mud. Four inches wide, but shallower than it should be. A large beast, then. Probably hungry. Starving. Musk breaks across my nostrils. I know I'm close, but it's a cooing whisper brings me up short rather than the beast's stink. M kneels next to a fallen log in a crisscross mass of old trees. Everything is covered with a thick bed of gray moss and stubborn snow. Tony and Joe stand next to her. Tony looks like a hodgepodge assemblage of branches and bits of wire, more a scarecrow than droid. Joe is dented like a used symbol. Cyan smears coat his foot-tall body. The rest of it gleams gold in the remaining sunlight. It's colder here. Barely feels like the sun is breaking through the tangled branches above, despite the shafts of light. Like her mother, 
She's tiny, less than four feet tall and thin as a rail, M looks the way Cammy must have looked as a kid. Same hair, too, though M lets it hang out in a ponytail to her butt. Her breath mists around her head, she whispers something in a log. She doesn't notice the creature that's almost on her. It's a massive beast, nearly seven feet long from nose to tail, but gaunt, all hard edges and bones. Patches of feverish skin shine through its tawny coat. The wind shifts suddenly. I smell the lavender Cammy brushes into my hair. The panther's fur ruffles. The sharp, sterile scent of winter blows away the stink of mud and rotted leaves for a moment and takes my scent with it. The panther's massive head turns towards me, black nostrils flaring, eyes narrowing. Fear shoots up my spine, but I don't run. Instead, I drop into a crouch. It leaps at me, both paws swatting, long transparent claws flashing in fading light. Gotcha! Em yells in triumph, just as the big cat hits me. We slam into the ground hard, a cacophony of breaking branches and crisp leaves knocking the air from my lungs. I wrench the panther's front paw around until it snaps. The panther releases a high-pitched squeal. The beast swats wildly, kicking, tearing. Its jaws snap in the air. The rear claw catches me in the stomach. That sharp tug blossoms into searing pain. Ignoring the wound, I scramble atop it like it's a miniature horse. I'm screams from somewhere, but I can't turn away. I wrap my arm around the panther's neck and pull as hard as I can. A wet crack echoes through the woods. The body goes still beneath me. I slide off its back, gasping, and fall into the muddy snow. Em stands over me, tan face flushed from the cold and panic. You're bleeding! Em drops to her knees and puts pressure on the wound. Gotta keep pressure on it. We need bandages. I stroke her hair. She mumbles. The scent of her, lavender and autumn wind, wash over me and mingle with the musk of the dead panther. A flush of flowers and death. Her breath warms my face. I smile as the pain fades. You're not bleeding. She pulls away bloody hands. Cautiously, I sit up. I guess not. There's a hole in my thick winter jacket where the panther tore into me with his back paws. There's blood, too. A lot of it. But only a small slash, like someone cut me with a pocket knife. It feels like someone stabbed me with the butt of an axe handle. But that's all. I get to my feet, grunting. M studies me. Must have hit a vein or something. Then I look at M and her smile fades, eyes dropping to the ground. What the hell are you doing out here? I say, leveraging the best disappointed auntie voice I can manage. Hide and seek? Lightning flashes. Thunder pounds soon after. The storm is getting close. You could have been killed out here, I say, pointing at the dead panther. By that, specifically. Well, yeah, but- But what? I cross my arms. M grins and runs over to the down tree she'd been crouched in front of when I arrived. Joe and Tony sidle out of the way in lockstep as she approaches. According to Cammy, they're paired units, meaning they function better together than apart. Whatever that means. M reaches down and pulls something out of the trunk, then turns around triumphantly. I got dinner! M's holding a mass of hair with both hands. She sets it down on the ground and wipes a bead of sweat off her forehead. Well, Joe did. Anyway. The little robot bows at the middle, a tinny grinding sound accompanying the movement. I try to frown and fail. Instead, I grab the panther and sling it over my shoulders with a grunt. M makes a face as I start walking home. You coming? I ask, stifling my grin. M slings the hair over her own tiny shoulder. Aww, yeah. 
Just thought maybe you'd carry it since you're here. It's your kill, I say as we start heading home. Yeah, but you're the strong one. I laugh and shift the panther across my shoulders. Its musty stink makes me gag. This one's going to be tough eating. You know how we live. She nods but doesn't add to it. Nothing more to say. Thunder hammers in the distance again. The rain increases. That ball of worry comes back as I realize Cammy's probably still out in the field. I stop and pull the radio off my belt. It's busted to hell. Damn it. What's wrong? I glance to the west. Through the spears of old cedar and pine, the darkness of storm clouds creeps towards us, snuffing out pockets of sunlight as it comes. I clip the walkie back on my belt. Walkie's broken. Time to run. M groans but keeps up as we race the storm back to the cabin. The storm wins. Cammy, this is Lynn. I send over the transmitter in the cabin as I stretch on a dry shirt that's a little too small for me. Kamina, Olinda, over. Panic etches into my skin, like an itch I can't scratch. I dig at the wooden table with a chewed fingernail and repeat the call. The crackle of seasoned wood usually helps me relax, but it's making things worse right now. Each pop sends my teeth grinding, my fingers drumming alongside the pounding rain. Em is in the bathroom, cleaning up. She likes to help Taylor cook. The droid himself stands watch over the large cast iron stove, prepping ingredients for the stew. Taylor's a decent cook, despite being a droid. The sharp scent of blood fills the room as he tears the skin off the hair in one swipe. I try not to think about that. Taylor is a beaten old block of metal. Can't talk anymore. Lost a speech synthesizer someplace, but it doesn't stop him from cheating at poker, the lousy bastard. Once upon a time, Taylor was a security droid for some mining company working in West Virginia. Designed like a brick wall and imbued with as much personality, Taylor stands well over six foot, with thick piston arms. Instead of a face, he's an array of tiny cameras surrounding his head that make him look like a massive fly. The huge olfactory sensors planted in the middle of his face don't help dispel that imagery at all. His fingers are remarkably well-formed, though. They've been designed to handle a variety of man-made weapons. Instead of death, nowadays he just steals out the best back ribs. Cammy oversaw maintenance of him back at the mine. When the riots broke out, she reprogrammed Taylor and took him off as far north as she could go. She got lucky when she found the cabin. She'd had just enough time to get it ready for winter before her swollen belly stopped her completely. She found me sometime around then, since I was in real bad shape. I don't remember much from before that, though every now and then brutal memories flash. I try not to think about those, either. This cabin is where she nursed me back to health. A surprising mix of rustic functionality and modern amenities, it's a flexible space and one we're lucky to have. The large main area is dominated by the cast iron stove, its 8-inch stovepipe spearing the ceiling, smack dab in the middle of the room. Beyond that, there's two bedrooms, a bathroom, and two fireplaces, one on the east wall and another on the west. Miscellaneous pieces and parts spill out the second bedroom that serves as Cammy and M's workshop. Solar panels on the roof and the small solar farm in the clearing to the south provide more than enough electricity for our needs. Hell, in the summertime, we even get to use the fridge and electric stove. My bed is a couch tucked in close to the central wood stove. It's an ancient thing of creaking wood and strained springs covered with what feels like burlap. I love it. Taylor hammers out a complex series of short and long knocks. It takes me a minute to sort out the morse, but I get the gist. Dinner in an hour. Need to find him a damn notepad. He's too specific with times. No one should need to know how to decipher 2700 seconds in Morse code. I glance toward the windows. They're barely lit now, the storm clouds all but blotting out the sun. 
Thunder rolls through the floor, though no lightning accompanies it. I put down the handset and take a deep breath. Maybe Cammy's walking broke too. Maybe it got wet. Maybe she forgot to turn it on after I gave it to her. A lot of maybes. Not one of them kills the ache in my gut. All right, I mutter, forcing my voice steady. I grab my coat on the way out, despite the deep slash across the bottom and the bloodstains. I cleaned off most of the heavies when we got back, but don't have time to sew it up right now. Em comes out of the bathroom, doing some three-beat dance by herself. She's smiling, almost like she's forgotten about the panther. You wash your hands? I ask as I shrug into my jacket, keeping the worry from my voice. Yup, she says with a grin. She sweeps next to Taylor, who slides over a cutting board, some dried rosemary, and a little knife. I open the door and gaze out into the darkening field. Lightning flashes somewhere to the northwest, a white slash against the encroaching silver storm front. No green. The water's clean, Cammie says about the storms. It's how we know to head out and cover the fields in case of rains that'll ruin their productivity in the summer. They're covered right now, so it's not a worry, but the words are ingrained in my mind like a prayer. Maybe that's why I'm thinking about it now. It's nearly dusk. Even our muddy footprints from earlier are fading as the light dims. I scan the yard and the tree line intently. That rock of guilt and worry grows in my stomach. A deep rumble shakes the earth. Em, I say, pulling on my boots. I'm heading out to get your mama. Kay. From the hook near the door, I swing down an antique Mossberg bolt-action rifle, a handheld spotlight, and a waterproof bag of bullets. It's much lighter than I like. We're down to seven bullets, all of which I've already recast two or three times over the years. We ran out of gunpowder last spring, though. These are it. That's the main reason we haven't had much meat this winter. Snares have been coming up empty, and we need the gun for protection more than hunting. Can't eat the chickens, or we don't get any eggs. I did think about killing that rooster a few times, though. I pop around into the rifle, make sure the safety is on, then loop it over my shoulder. Just in case. No need to be stupid. A gust of cool wind hits me in the face. Lightning flashes in the distance, followed by an immediate thunderclap. Shut the door, Lynn. You raced in a barn or something? I turn toward her and smile. She's standing there just like her mama, hands on hip, head shaking disapprovingly. No worry or panic evident on her face, just the playfulness of a little girl. You know I was. I step outside, leaving the girl behind, and head north to find Cammy. The storm finally hits in earnest as I cut northeast toward the upper field. I'm in the trees, walking our path, breath misting in the chill air. Thunder pounds. Everything is silent in the aftermath. For several minutes, the only noise is the crack of twigs and swish of wet, rotting leaves as I walk, as if the world is holding its breath. Then, like a deep sigh, finally let free, the rain falls. It sweeps through the cedars and bare maples like a summer wind, just a whoosh of noise. A flash of light and an immediate peal of thunder shake the ground. I pick up my pace. The rain is chill, wet icicles tearing into my face and hands. It's not snow, though. That's good. The well is getting low and we need a little straight rain. There's no sign of Cammy on the trail, so I keep moving. I break through the tree line twenty minutes later. The lightning and thunder is constant now. God's light show. The spotlight is my left hand, off, as I start up the hill. The rain soaks through my jacket, but the chill inside me has nothing to do with it. Everything is fine, I tell myself. I'm a horrible liar. Boots sucking on the fresh mud, I make my way up the hill, 
Tiny waterfalls stream past me along the rocky paths I usually use to traverse this incline. I avoid those despite the struggle. Walking up a waterfall is a good way to bust your face open. A few minutes later, I pulled myself to the top of the hillock and looked to the north, where Cammie was heading. Lightning flashes. A tree explodes in the forest. There's a body. The world roars in anguish with me. A body. No. 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 I run. Bright slashes of light come with me. My screams are the thunder shaking the ground. Me sliding and cutting across pounded earth and old stone, I slide next to it. A pool of darkness surrounds the body. I pull it in my arms. Feels just like the panther's corpse. Just meat and hair. The sky erupts and shows Cammie's wide-eyed, too pale face, an almost delicate line across her throat. The world spins around me for an eternity. Then something clicks. The bag. Someone took her sensor bag. The world slows. Raindrops fall like tiny diamonds. I lay Cammie down gently and close her lids, my own eyes scanning the surroundings intently. Suddenly, everything is brighter. Tracks around the hillock. Too many tracks. A group of people came through here. Someone struggles with Cammie. I moved along with the footfalls. They're glowing in the night, a fading white aurora surrounding the dents in the ground. Why? I ignore the nagging voice asking questions that don't matter. Instead, my imagination fills the blanks and renders bodies against the movements. Cammie grabbed at someone. A struggle. Someone else blood on a rock. Somehow, I know it's not Cammie's blood. Then that person pivoted. Arterial spray washed away into the soil. Cammie hit the ground. They left her. I shut my eyes. Hot tears mingle with the rain. When I open them again, I see their path. Northwest. A calm descends on me. I know what to do. Rain speeds up in a pounding rush, thousands of tiny drummers hammering out a dirge. Cammie's body cleanses itself in the rain. I hunt. There are five of them, though something tells me there is supposed to be six. The last one is off to the east. His tracks are deep and glow faintly, warm puddles of fairy fire in the night. A campfire crackles beneath a stone outcropping. Three men and two women sit around it. Cammie's bag is open. They're tossing sensors back and forth like they're playing hot potato. Steam and smoke waft away from their camp. I can't see any bandages or wounds from here, but... They're laughing. Laughing. Their weapons are nestled in a niche under the outcropping, though there's a knife here and there. One of them has leaned a machete against a tree on the edge of the firelight. The undergrowth can get thick around here, and it's a versatile weapon. I sit on the rifle and spotlight outside the firelight. I'm only a shadow now, and barely that. I take the blade in my hand. It feels right. Perfect. The first one loses his head, a laugh still rumbling wetly from his throat. The next two, a man and a woman, barely manage to turn before I leave them screaming on the ground. The last, a tall, tough-looking blonde woman and a short, stocky, dark-skinned man go after their weapons. The machete sticks in the woman's skull. I let it go. The man swings a pistol around, a Ruger, .45, I note. Barrel in my face, he pulls the trigger. He didn't turn off the safety. I break his wrists, then rip out his trachea. I leave their bodies where they fall. The whimpering and choking sounds begin to fade. Let them rot where they lay. There's still one more. I turn toward the other tracks. A pall falls over me. Those glowing footfalls have faded completely. 
too slow. It was too slow. The world moves faster. Rain spatters and expanding pools of crimson, white roses blossoming and dying. The copper scent of new death reminds me of the panther, and old memories of flashing blades and raining blood. A long, rattling breath from behind me. Realization dawns. Cammy's dead. I fall to my knees. A black hole opens in my gut and it's killing me. M and that godforsaken hair flash in my mind. The sky cries with me as I stagger to my feet and grab the Ruger and ammunition, armor-piercing bullets of all things, off the dead man. I head back to get Cammy, whispering a small prayer for her soul. I'm not a believer, but she is. Was. That's what counts. It's spring now. Em still cries. She spends every moment with the chickens and her robots. Joe doesn't wander anymore. He just walks around the clearing surrounding the cabin and takes small blessings where I can. I can't stop jumping at every noise. Things feel different now. I see things, hear things. Sometimes it's like when I was in the woods, seeing glowing footsteps in slow-moving rain. Other times it's a surprise, like when M was having trouble fixing Taylor's cognitive programming last week. He shocked himself silly on the heater and lost the ability to tap out Morse code. Em had asked for help before thinking about who she was asking. Cammy had been the AI programmer. I'm just a farmer. Well, apparently, I'm a farmer that knows how to readjust neurolinguistics preprocessors and modify them for a spectrum model security droid. Maybe I'm a genius after all. The sun tries to break through the heavy morning fog. It's failing, but it makes a beautiful little halo around the cross I built for Cammy's grave just east of the cabin. A line of clear trees goes almost to the horizon. I love sunsets, but she'd always been partial to sunrises. So there she lays, little purple flowers blossoming on her grave. Moments of rebirth, she used to say with a smile, Em asleep in her lap. The ground is starting to even out under the cross. I try not to think on that much. The Ruger is aimed at something 12.5 meters to the southwest before I know what's happening. The air seems to shift before coming into shape as a man-shaped blob moving through the fog. My aim adjusts for the incoming wind burst from the northwest. A little figure steps into the clearing in front of the shape, bright and flashing in the sun. It's Joe. What's that little copper bastard doing? I get to my feet, the pistol a reassuring weight in my hand as I focus back on the unknown person. Best if you stop there and announce yourself. Come on, Amy. A man's voice calls out, gravelly and low. You know me, and I know you. Your voice is different. I like it. Leave now, I yell. But he's right. His voice tickles my brain. A sudden feeling of want, no, need, floods through me like a roaring flame. His name is on the tip of my tongue, tantalizingly close. He's taken a few steps forward while I'm disoriented, and now I can see him. More of a height and build. His hair is a darkened, dirty blonde like my own but shorn tight his scalp like a budget buzz cut. He holds his hands out to the sides, far away from the gun belt on his hip and the long, thin blade on the other side. He doesn't smile, but stares with eyes too green to be real, like diagnostic LEDs on a circuit board. They connect with me. It feels like we're touching across the distance. I can feel his heartbeat in my hands, his breath on my face. Deep inside me, I'm nauseous, as if a creature is trying to devour me from the inside. Lynn? The high, sharp voice catches me. I'm almost within reach of him. 
His hand extends toward me, the look of absolute sublime passion coating his face, no doubt a mirror of my own. Em steps up next to me, her small, brown fingers intertwined with my left hand. Who's this? Just like that, I'm free. The pistol sweeps back up into his face, just out of reach. He pulls a hand away from his own weapon. I step back slowly. I'm tight in hand. Joe Stutter steps up next to us, buzzing something through his speakers. Ali, Ali, oxen, free. An ache fills my stomach. Hide and seek. The man stares at M intently. A pink tongue flicks along his lips, like a lizard watching a fly. Who are you? Why are you here? And what'd you do to Joe? I gesture down at the little copper trader standing next to M. That robot is getting taken apart when this is over. He looks at me, head cocked to the side. His eyes don't seem to be glowing, though they still look like two flecks of jade in the sunlight. Call me Ted. And he's been... a guide. Everything is balanced on a knife edge. My mind runs through scenarios. Most end up with him dead, though I'm injured in almost all of them for some reason. M gets hurt in many. Only one ends with everyone safe. You need to leave. I pull M behind me protectively. Now. Ted's face twitches. His shaved jaw flexes repeatedly. I get the distinct feeling he's going through the same scenarios in his mind. He stretches out his hand. His nails are manicured. I get why you killed my people. I would have too. Ted smiles, but my lack of response quickly turns it into a scowl. But how can you not know me? You have to feel it. I don't feel anything. I lie, ignoring his reference to the people I killed. So unless you want to find out just how much I don't know you, you'll leave. Now. It looks like Ted is going to say something, but he nods. His eyes flash that brilliant green again and a memory blossoms in my mind. Tears blur my vision and Joe titters strangely at my feet. Something to remember me by? Ted says with a smile. He backs into the fading fog until he disappears into the tree line. Em's shaking like a leaf. I kneel in front of her and try to think of something to say. Her brown eyes leak tears that burn into my skull. I just grab her and squeeze. After forever, she whispers, Did that man kill Mama? I don't know, baby. I whisper back, but I'm shaking now, too. Em's the only thing keeping me from falling, because I do know. He showed me. Somehow, he showed me. It was him. He killed Cammie. And he's coming back. It's pitch black out. I can't see anything. New moon, overcast, summer, air thick as pudding stuck in a pressure cooker. M's light snores aren't as loud as grasshoppers sawing their songs outside the window. That's good. The little droid, Joe, sits next to the door, its power supply pulled and stored. Tony, too. Better safe than sorry. You sure it's him? I asked Taylor, wiping sweat out of my eyes. It doesn't help much. Positive, Olinda. Taylor purrs out, the confidence in the synthetic voice Em and I crafted for him scraping down my spine. A path is becoming clear from the trap cameras. He is making his way southeast of our location. He is leaving. Bullshit, I think. That bastard isn't gone. His name is Ted, a voice whispers to me from the darkness. The Ruger feels small in my hand, but the trigger is still cool. Refreshing. Oh, Linda. Lynn. Taylor asks, his usual monotone rising on the end syllable. Did you hear me? He's leaving. Is that actual empathy I'm hearing, or is it the fallout from whatever M's been doing to his brain? God knows what I did a few months back didn't help. His cooking is downright horrible now. 
Still better than mine, but the quality has dropped substantially. Who does talk to Em a lot, though? It's good someone talks to her nowadays. I can't. Emptiness expands inside me, but I shove it back into the tiny hole reserved for it. That's where it belongs, right next to that damned memory I shouldn't have. What did Ted do to me? I heard you. I rub my arms against a chill no one else can feel. But I'm gonna go check, to be sure. Taylor manages a harumph, his speakers rattling in their casings. He turns toward where M lays, unseen, on my couch. That is... inadvisable. M's definitely been messing with his brain. Take care of M. Taylor makes a noise, then turns and stomps away. The rusting steel mounds that pass for his feet, surprisingly quiet on the much-scarred wood floor. It takes me a minute to realize that's as much of an ascent as I'm getting out of him. I grab the Ruger, my machete, and the spotlight, then head out into the black. It's time to kill this son of a bitch. The sun rises over Cammy's grave when I return. I don't care. I'm running. Breathless. I'm coming from the southeast, where Ted's tracks led me. The roosters crow. The chickens are still in the coop. Damn it. His footfalls are more confident here. Deep impressions. Heel-toe, heel-toe. He walked right up to the back door. The chickens hear me approach and start clucking in annoyance. It's past time for them to be out. They know the schedule. So does M. I sprint past the coop, the stink of their dander and acidic feces a hot tincture in my nostrils. The Ruger is in my right hand, the machete in my left. The back door is in front of me. I go to open it, clumsily slamming the hilt of the blade into the door. My fingers slip. Someone grabs the knob, turns through my sweaty hand, and opens the door from the other side. The Ruger is up, tight to my chest as I lean back into a low crouch, the machete falling from my hand. The bullet punches a hole in Taylor's chest. The machete clings against the stone. M screams. I slap on the safety and set down the Ruger as smoke starts trickling out of Taylor's chest and his many eyes unfocus. Fall. His arms hunch forward with the sound of a draining tub. M slams into him hard enough she busts her lip open. Taylor! She doesn't notice the blood trickling on his rust-speckled carapace. The eyes M turns on me, though. Shame crawls in my every pore. I'm... The slap takes me by surprise. I don't even see it coming. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm so proud of her. Get your things and get out! Em says in her too high child voice. You're a murderer! I try to explain. I point to the tracks. Em's a good tracker. She'll see. But I tore through them. I ran through because I didn't see any come out. They're a mess. Might as well be gone. Em turns away from me. I said... Get your things and leave. She's pulling at Taylor's chest plate with his tiny tan fingers and losing the battle. His power supply isn't meant to be serviced. The plate is riveted, but she's not giving up. Em isn't crying this time, but she is mumbling a short phrase under her breath as she goes to get her tools. I catch a part and my chest clenches. How we live. The chickens need out, so I go to the coop in a daze. Em likes to see them roam during the day. Seems to make them happy, so I let them. Might as well get a semblance of freedom occasionally. I watch them for a while, just staring as they peck and claw at the ground. The heat rises with the sun. So does the humidity. Sweat beads on my forehead. The little birds look so happy walking around for a while, then go back to their gilded prison. Don't they know they could be free? To walk the entire yard? To go to the horizon? 
to get away from this ill-conceived idea of a home? An anger rises in me I didn't know I had. In the early days with Cammie, when I felt dumb and slow following the accident, after she saved my life, Em's presence had been so calming, like she was a thing to be protected, to be saved. Now this little bastard threatens me, kicks me out of my own house. Doesn't she know she owes me? Her mother is dead, but we all die. That's how we live. We persist. We survive. We do what's necessary. Without me, she'd be dead. Without me, she'd be... I kick a stone and it flies toward the front yard where it lands in a divot. Footprints. Just like that, the anger is gone. I sprint toward the front door. Tracks walk to the north, down the path we've maintained for a decade, and into the blossoming tree line. They came from the front door. He was in the house. I'm gonna be sick. Behind me, the door opens. Lynn? Em's voice, small and scared, calls. Gone is the forcefulness from earlier. She's a child again. I found a piece of paper on my toolbox. I take it from her small, grease-covered hands. She trembles. It's an envelope, but Em doesn't know that. She's never seen one before. There's one word, scrawled in perfect cursive on the front. Amy. My eye twitches. I want nothing more than to burn this thing and forget about Ted, Cammie's death, and what happened to Taylor. But I don't. I tear open the letter with my pinky since my nails are bitten to the nub and read. Dearest Amy, I see now what happened. You've bonded another in my absence. I can't say that I blame you. I've felt the compulsion several times over the past few years myself. However, I'm here now and it's time for you to put away these childish things. You know your potential, Amy. You know deep down beneath all that patchwork programming they've covered you with who you are. You belong with me, not anyone else. Certainly not one of them. That's not how we live. I'm giving you a week to make your choice. Or I will make it for you. I will save you, Amy. We belong together. Ever yours, Ted. Something clicks in my mind. Em is asking questions. She read it with me. Her voice is a high-pitched whine. I can't hear it over the pounding of the blood in my ears. My hands shake. I rub the sheet raw between the callous fingers, smears of dirt and residue imprinting on it. I can't breathe. My chest constricts like a python wrapped around me, like I try to steal its frog and it's caught me just in time to salvage a meal. Drops of liquid splatter on the words. Words I know ring true. Words I thought moments earlier. That's not how we live. Someone is sobbing. It's me. Em tears the paper from my hands, leaving tiny fragments in my fingers. Her skin is hot as she covers my dirt-encrusted skin with oil-covered hands. Breathe. Em whispers like she's cooing at a new chick. Just breathe. My breath feels like sandpaper on a sunburn. I can't see. My mind is a mess. What's wrong with me? I manage in between choking gasps. Em stares at me for a moment. She's never seen me like this. Shame is a vice around my heart. She pulls me close, pressing her tiny face into my midriff in a fevered embrace. This is how we live, Lynn. This. I hug her back fiercely. 
inhaling the lavender in her hair, pushing Ted and his damned letter out of my mind. Focus on this small human in my arms. She's a sobbing lifeline and we're keeping each other from sinking into an abyss. I squeeze and cry and shake. I won't let her go. She's all I have, and she might as well be my flesh and blood. I lose my breath in the choking sobs because I know something else. Something I can't bear to admit. Not yet. Not now. We stand there for what seems like forever, and I won't let go, despite the heat and sweat and tears. I just stare as the fog fades to the blue of this June day. The sun scalds my skin as it climbs, and holds on too, unwilling to leave me alone. I don't let go, because almost every part of me is screaming that Ted is right. And with that, horrible memories flood, break through the dam Cammie had put in my mind. On the seventh day, Ted arrives. He's better dressed this time. Loose pants billow slightly as he walks, covering his high, well-worn black leather boots. They sparkle in the sun like he just polished them. He's wearing some long brown jacket. It has literal coattails. With a gun belt and that big Ruger Bisley at his side, he almost looks like a cowboy. In short, he looks like an idiot. He always had horrible fashion sense, even during the upstate raids of 2307. Wore a bowler hat back then. I'm not dressed for the occasion. I've got nothing else to wear besides these stained jeans and the same shirt I had on when I found Cammie. The smell of her is finally out of it, though the rusty brown hue running up the arms is an unfriendly reminder. Sweat coats my forehead and slicks the front of my shirt and under my arms. I pick up a sickly sweet tang to it now that I couldn't before. Almondy, like antifreeze. I didn't bring a knapsack. Nothing to take besides the machete. Emma's inside the cabin with Taylor. She's still crying, but she gets it. I think. I hope. Taylor still gibbers a bit, but we did a good job patching up his power source with parts from Tony and Joe. Luckily, I missed a CPU. He has the old Mossberg and four bullets. Had him take a few test shots yesterday. Only hit the target once, but he's got all the right programming to teach him. They have the Ruger, too, but it's set aside for her when she's a little older. It'll knock her on her ass right now, but she'll need it to protect herself. This world is horrifying. Chickens cluck and sing off around the corner of the cabin. I scratch a line in the sand and smile. I'll miss their little noises. Even that damned rooster. God, I'm gonna miss them. Amy? Ted's voice pulls my gaze as he approaches. The name sounds familiar and foreign at the same time. He leans to the side, one knee bent, hand on his busy like it's a cane. I smile and sniff away a tear. He looks ridiculous. I wet my hand on my legs, raising a small dust cloud. He relaxes visibly, hand coming off the pistol, a thin-lipped smile cracking his sunburnt face. I've missed you. Me too. And I mean it. I missed him. But not covert ops. The subterfuge, the lying, the killing. There was so much killing. We had orders. Ted's deep voice rolls across me soothingly as he reads my mind. I read his back and feel a flush of warmth and success filling him. We'd always been close. Always so close. I force a smile at him. We did. He picks up my hesitation and snaps the connection shut just as I feel his uncertainty. I pick my words carefully, licking my lips in between each. I'm coming with you, but I have conditions. Ted's brown brows furrow. What conditions? His eyes flash to the cabin. 
First, no more killing. Not like before. Done. Ted's eyes are locked on the cabin, a faint glow overlaying his emerald irises. And second- They're not dead. Ted stares daggers at me, his eyes flashing as he tears me apart with his eyes. You're still bound to that thing. The statement hits like a shot to the gun. I'd hoped so much. There was only one way to keep Em safe. To give her a chance. His fingers dig at my mind. I fight, but I can't stop it. He's wheedling into my brain, prying away at any attempt to stop him. He's so much stronger than me. I fall to my knees and grip the sides of my head. Please, I beg. Ted tears my world apart. You're meant to be with me! Almond sensed spittle hitting me in the face. Me! Not some sack of meat! We're the same! Ted grabs me by the forearms and lifts me, fingers digging into my skin. My brain is on fire. He's breaking down my mind. I see my reactivation. Hi, I'm Amy. Hi, Amy. I'm Kamina. Call me Kami. I try to respond, but my voice crackles into nothing. I smell burning circuits mingling with the scent of lavender. Kami stands over me with her swollen belly, a tiny frown on her face. She looks over at Taylor and nods toward me. The hulking machine reaches down with gentle fingers and pulls me from some wreckage. I can't feel anything. She's something special, Taylor. Kami says, picking her way across the stones delicately. She's an MTC model. Full AI immersion of setup right. Though, I wonder where her partner is. That could be trouble. She shakes her head, then turns back to Taylor with a wry grin. I'm gonna need your vocal processing unit, though. Hers is fried. Not a problem, miss. Taylor responds, his voice eerily familiar and feminine. I aim to serve. Cammy makes a childish face, like when M feels bad about something and pats Taylor on the arm. I wish I was good enough to give you full AI, old girl. I'm just not. And then it's gone. All of it. The entire thing. I sob. I'll rip it from your mind. Then we'll kill it together. Ted whispers feverishly, his irises spinning as he breaks through barriers I haven't practiced holding in a decade. We'll be together then. Kings ruling over peasants. Gods amongst men. Memories flash by me and are gone forever. Em's first steps. Cammy's laugh. Ted hits the wall and grunts. What's this? He's angry but determined, fingers clenched around my forearms. He slaps into a memory like a jackhammer. It's a deep one, something anchoring me. In that moment, I know if it disappears, I go with it. I breathe deeply and it hits me. A scent brushes my nostrils. Flowery, yet fierce. Deep, yet delicate. Lavender. Em doesn't say anything before she pulls the trigger, just like I taught her. Good girl. I'm showered in blood. Ted grunts. The assault stops. Em cries out and drops the pistol. I get to my feet and stare at Ted. I can't feel anything beyond the fire in my chest. A cherry-sized hole leaks crimson fluid down his pristine, white shirt. He shakes his head more confused than hurt. Only a couple things hurt us for long, after all. The machete is in my hand, a scream in my ears. His or mine? Maybe both. Ted pulls his pistol, but he's sluggish. I lop off his hand, but he gets around, blasting a hole in my thigh. Run! I scream at M and charge. The world slows to a crawl. The spitting dirt from M's running feet hang in the air forever. Despite his wounds, Ted pivots, 
plants a foot, and uses my momentum to launch me behind him. His knee collapses halfway through the toss. I land a few feet away, on top of the Ruger. I put a bullet in both his thighs as M sprints away. He falls back on his haunches with a grunt and stares at me, his busy on the ground in front of him, still clasped tightly in his severed hand. We were supposed to be together! I was gonna go with you! I scream at him, the barrel of the pistol shaking. You just had to leave her alone! Ted sighs and grasps at his stump. It's already stopped bleeding. He looks back up at me. That won't work. Tears flows down his face. <sighs> Why? Ted takes a deep breath. There are no bubbles from the chest wound. We are one person, Amy. One person. Bonded. Forever. I shake my head. That's programming. It's just programming, Ted. Not to me. Ted's eyes flash. The intrusion starts again, but this time I'm ready and he's not as focused while regenerating. I'll make you mine. I shoot him again, this time in the stomach. The hacking attempts stop. It's temporary, and I know it. I'm not yours, Ted. I will kill you. For her, I add in my mind. I know he hears me. He laughs. I'm taken aback enough that when he takes a swipe at the gun, he almost gets it. Why the hell are you laughing? I ask, a swell of anguish rising in my stomach. I can't shove it back down. Ted spits out a glob of blood and wipes his mouth with a wrist that's starting to show signs of mass at the end. As long as you're alive, I'll come back. That's how it works. How we stay alive. He lifts his stub and points at it with his other hand. Proximity helps. But eventually, I'll be back. Cut me up and scatter me across the world. I'll find her on her 60th birthday and make her bleed until there's nothing left, you traitor. You're lying, I blurt out, but even I don't believe it. Because along with my old memories, I know what I am now. What we are. The MTC android was a paired military system capable of deep cover operations and favored by the U.S. military in the early 21st century due in part to our near indestructibility. If one android went down, the other would recover. It was just a matter of time. I aimed the pistol at his forehead. Like humans, our central processing units are stored in that cavity. Unlike humans, it's a self-healing biosilicate gel in a shared quantum state with its partner. A literal soulmate. Ted smiles at me, blood-speckled teeth flashing. He holds his arms out to the side like he's pretending at being a martyr. Can't do it. We're the same. You don't have the- A gunshot rings out clear across the field. Ted falls forward in a heap. The Ruger trembles in my hand, unfired. Taylor walks out of the house, the ground grunting in annoyance under his weight, the Mossberg cradled in his arm. He's a bit of a misogynist, that one. And he was using up Miss M's air. I let out a half-gasp, half-laugh, and fall to my knees. I laugh because I know... I know I couldn't have done it. M runs over to me from behind Taylor and envelops me in an embrace. It's a great hug. I soak it in, but eventually I push her away. What's wrong? She asks, a hint of desperation in her voice. She was listening. I take in a shuddering breath and put on my best smile. Then I grab her by the shoulders. I'm going to need to go away. Okay? I say. She's already sobbing. It's okay. It's okay. It's not okay! 
He's dead. He's dead. Hey, I got your deep brown eyes. It's the only way you'll survive. No. Em says, tearing watering eyes away from mine. No! You know how we live. She screws her tiny face into a grimace. Not like this. If it's the connection, I'll tear out the transmitter. I'll figure it out. I pull her in for a fierce hug. Maybe someday, but not now. We don't have time. Em says nothing for a long time, then nods into my chest, her body shuddering from the sobs. After an eternity, I get to my feet and look up at Taylor. Take care of her. I turn toward Ted's body. And burn that. Of course, Miss Olinda. You perform some sort of salute, fist over heart. I return it. Come get this in a few hours, Taylor, I add, holding the Ruger up. Taylor inclines his head but doesn't speak. Take care of yourself, I whisper to Em as she grabs onto Taylor. The walk out to the hill is harder than it should be, but it's not because of the bullet wound Ted gave me. That healed while I sat there because that's what happens when we're near each other. The sun sets as I get to the outcropping over the north field, near where I found Cammie. I sit down and watch the sunset disappear behind the trees. A flurry of blossoming roses and lavender, crimson and violet in the evening light. A dark cloud peeks over the boughs, lit by the sunset's flame. No green, the water's clean, I whisper to no one. I sigh and smile. Then I put the barrel of the Ruger against my temple and pull the trigger. Scanning for local bioquantum neural storage TM. Found. Activating LVM and swap quantum modules. Done. Mounting local bioquantum neural storage TM. Failed. Accessing factory default storage. Success. Scanning for remote bioquantum neural net TM. Error. Z-wave radio missing. Mounting local default storage. Done. Loading factory defaults new instance of bioquantum neural storage TM. Done. Initiate boot sequence. Optical obstruction detected. Crap. It's in her eyes. Obstruction cleared. One human. Female. 20 to 25 years of age. Approximately 1.5 meters in height. Hispanic. Heart rate elevated. Excessive perspiration for 20 degrees Celsius. She is nervous. One Spectrum TM model security droid. Outdated. Inefficient. Ruger American pistol. 45 auto. Loaded. Unknown actors. Initiating pairing module. Hi. I'm Aim E. <laughs> she laughs, brushes long brown hair behind her ear. I'm Amelia. M. <clears throat> Can I call you Lynn? Updating naming parameter. Yes. Hi. I'm Lynn. I know. She cries and collapses onto my upper torso. Abnormal scent detected. Lavender. <laughs>